You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation brought to you by Go Wild. Now, as we all know, Go Wild is one of the fastest growing and most popular social media apps specifically for outdoorsmen, hunting, fishing, and so forth and so on. But recently, they have announced a partnership with Garmin Connect IQ app. Now, what this does, this is like an integration between both platforms. The Go Wild community members will have the ability to track and share robust digital stories ranging from automated archery shot counts, miles hiked, you know, whatever you do throughout the hunt, like scout, put up your tree stand. And this is the cool thing, biometric data collecting. Now, what, what that is, is let's say it's your heart rate. And it will track your heart rate, everything from when you see the big buck, as the big buck gets closer and closer, your heart rate starts to go up, you draw back, you shoot the deer, and then the deer runs away, and the app records all that, and you're, you're able to see what your heart rate is throughout this entire process and i think that's really cool uh, along with all the other benefits and features of go wild like tracking and documenting your hunt so go to the website time to go wild.com or you can download the go wild app wherever you download your apps so get outside it's time to go wild Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles hunting podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and on this podcast, you will find tons of relevant information that will help you become more successful in the field. You'll hear product information directly from the manufacturer and success stories from guys and gals just like you. Sit back, relax, and pour a stiff drink. This episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast starts right now now hey it's friday happy happy friday all you salty dogs out there and welcome to the nine finger chronicles podcast brought to you by exodus trail cameras save twenty dollars by entering the discount code nine fingers this is my first full week back at work, and uh, it took some getting used to because I haven't I haven't worked a full week of work, and when I mean full week, I mean all five days in a long time. Uh, you know, November took some time on and off, 
uh, for hunting, obviously, and then the holidays, and then that kind of went into the ATA show. So this week was my first full week back at work, and uh, not going to lie, it was a little bit difficult, but I'm back, and uh, getting back into the routine is kind of nice. That way I can get back into the routine of this part of my life, the podcast, and I'll be completely honest with you, man, I am jacked for this podcast because I love hearing stories, especially from today's guest, Mr. Jason Reed. He lives in North Carolina. He hunts in the Appalachian Mountains, and he is going to tell us a story today about walking three miles back into the mountains to hunt a specific deer, and he gets the job done. And I don't think I've ever hiked three miles for anything except during elk season. So I feel pretty lucky to where I can go out um, and maybe at most walk three quarters of a mile to some of the some of my tree stands. That's if I want to take the very low impact route. But I'm telling you, uh, much respect to these public land guys who are out there grinding their ass off walking you know, miles and miles to get back to the best possible spot. And uh, today, Jason breaks that hunt down for us, talks about the terrain of the, you know, the area that he hunts, talks about how he approaches the access routes and whatnot, and uh, talks about what the deer are doing, where they eat, how they travel, all that stuff. And uh, so again, man, we just have a public land grinder who is getting it done and I love these kind of stories, and that's why I am bringing it to you. And uh, I don't know, man. I, I don't have really too much to say. Just got back from the ATA show. It was one hell of a show. You know, like I, I said earlier, it's a lot of business. This is the first year where there was a lot of business, a lot of meetings that revolved around the Sportsman's Nation, around Nine Finger Chronicles. So my time being able to walk from booth to booth to booth and you know, and really observe, observe the new products and check out anything that was new or revamped or tweaked was, uh, you know, was put at a minimum, but on this same, uh, sportsman's nation, right. We put out three or four different podcasts covering all of the, the content that was there. And, uh, you know, there was some products, there was a handful of products that really stood out. And then there was a hand, there was, you know, business as usual type of products where I feel like some of these companies put products out just to put products out. So, um, yeah, nothing too crazy. This particular podcast is brought to you by Lone Wolf, right? So go visit Lone Wolf. Let me see. I got to make sure I have the email address right on this one. LoneWolfHuntingProducts.com. Now, I have been using Lone Wolf Tree Stands for a very long time and I you guys know that I am a huge advocate of being able to be mobile and being able to be quiet and being able to be whatever mobile and quiet those are the two big things and efficient right mobility quiet and efficient and lone wolf tree stands lone wolf tree stands is the best like in my opinion is the best option for that right so uh you need to go check out their products first and foremost if you're not familiar with that and you can do that at lone wolf uh lone wolf hunting products.com 
I don't know. I really don't know what else to say that it hasn't already been said. Said just a huge fan of their products, the stands, the sticks. My favorite, my favorite stand specifically is the Assault. And don't get me wrong, the Alpha is awesome with that bigger platform, but the Assault, smaller, lower profile, um, just, just awesome, light, quiet, and uh, so go check out their products. And if you want to, you can save fifty dollars off of all orders over $200 and you can do that by entering the discount code 9FC50 and that's going to get you $50 off all orders over $200 so that's a pretty good deal so take advantage of that uh, I think I've hoard myself out enough uh, I think I've covered what's going to be on the podcast hopefully everybody's in a really good mood and now's the point of the podcast where you guys are like Dude, shut up and get into the podcast. And that's just what I'm going to do on this podcast with my man, Jason Red. All right. On the phone with me today, Mr. Jason Red. How you doing, man? Doing all right. That's still. Oh, I can't complain. I, uh, I'm really tired. I just got back from the ATA show. And <laughs> even though I didn't go out and do any drinking or any partying, I literally did the show did some podcast stuff, went out to eat, came back to the hotel room, and I, I feel like I've been shed hunting on like a, a, a nine-day shed hunt where all I did was like walk 20 miles. I, I, I'm getting old. Yeah, yeah, I can I can relate. I do a lot of trade shows for my, my day job, so I know where you're coming from. Yeah, so why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us uh, what do you do for a living and, and where do you live? Uh, I live in... Western North Carolina, a little mountain town, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard of Asheville, North Carolina. Yep. And um, for a living, I actually uh, I own a, have a couple of businesses as an entrepreneur, and which is great because it allows me to some free time uh, during hunting season, and and also you know fortunately I have a, a pretty accommodating spouse, so uh, you know it, it is it is nice to work for yourself, <laughs> but originally from Arkansas, moved up here in 2009 and, you know, love being up here and uh, nice. definitely miss, miss the swamps, you know? Yeah. That's uh that's definitely two things that are very important. Like you said, time and an accommodating spouse that are very important. If you want to be a serious hunter. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think over time we all just kind of like know that it's going to be a pretty negative relationship through the you know, depending on how early you start hunting, you know, essentially from, you know, for me from September and till the end of the year, it's going to be a lot of, um, resentment, <laughs> but, we, 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 but we deal with it, you know, it's good. You work it out before or after, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, right. Uh, you know, it's like, I actually should be uh, coos deer hunting in Arizona right now, but my buddy had to bell and I didn't really have a lot of beta on the on, on the zone, and so I didn't feel like four days by myself. So I was like, you know, I'll save that time for some uh, some quality time at home. There you and, go. You got any kids? I do. We have a ten year old, which actually her stepson, but okay. I, you know, he's my, my little boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ten year old. Well, at least he knows how to wipe his butt. That's uh, that's the important thing. Well, I'm assuming. Anyway. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's he's got that down pretty good, you know, and. You know, after about five, I started getting sleep again. You know, I always tell people, it's interesting. Everybody, when you say you're having your first shot, everybody's like, oh, that's going to be so rough in the beginning. But they don't tell you about, like, the five years 
of having to wake up every night at some point. Like it just yeah. doesn't stop after 18 months. You know? Yeah. I, uh, I can almost set an alarm to my son getting into bed with us at night. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like almost like two thirty. something happens. He'll wake up, he'll get into bed with us. And then, uh, takes me, you know, after I getting punched in the nuts about four times as he's crawling over me, I, I can finally get back to sleep after the, the pain goes away. And, uh, we're, uh, you know, but I don't know. I, I hear, I hear people tell me boys with boys, you know, it's the first five, six years. And then after that, if, you know, depending on how well they behave, they're cool. Now, girls, they're, <laughs> you know, no offense to any women listening out there, but they're just like trouble all the way through from what I've heard, especially if they're sassy like my daughter is. Yeah, that's, that's what I've heard. I, I really wanted to have another child and have a, a daughter. But after my divorce and I met you know my current spouse, she didn't want any kids. And I yeah. was like, well, that's, that's good. I could do without a, another kid because now, you know, it essentially have eight more years and I can try to retire and maybe be a full-time <laughs> hunter or something. I don't know. But you know, these guys, they're like, I'm 38. These, these fellows that wait to 38 to 40 to have kids. I'm Man. like, wow, you're, you're just ruining, ruin your, your, your retirement. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think my, let's see, I did the math the other day and I don't think my youngest kid will be out of the house until I'm 50 something. Right. So, yeah, Oh, I got a, I got a long ways to go. <laughs> just break it down a little pieces, you right. know, and Absolutely. I, think, I think we'll make it. It's just kind of waiting on, waiting on hunting season. You know, you just kind of break it up into pieces and Absolutely. try to fill in and, and like I tell everybody, you know, I bitch about my kids a lot, but I love them to death and I just can't wait to start involving them more into, you know, into hunting and, and even doing more fishing. Does, does your stepson hunt at all fish? Oh, well, he's, he's my son. It's my, it's my oh, spouse's yeah, uh, okay. stepson. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've had him, uh, I've had him doing things with me. Uh, his mom and I got a divorce when he was three and I didn't really want to stop the things I was doing. So, you know, four years old, he was going up multi, multi pitch rock climbs with us, you know, the team. And, uh, I started taking squirrel hunting when he was probably two or three, just going with me. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's eaten up with it. He still haven't gotten his first year, but he's gotten Turkey and, we're actually leaving next week to go back, you know, where I'm from and do some duck hunting. So he, he really loves duck hunting. And as you know, it's a good time to yeah. kind of chat, chat and have a little bit more camaraderie. Absolutely. So you sent me an Instagram message of a buck you killed this year. And in the description of it, you said three miles back in rough mountain national forest. Right. And you did a, a 1200 Let's see, there's about a 1,200-foot elevation gain getting him out. So you were going downhill uh, to get into into this spot, right? Yeah, exactly. I okay. mean, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with our geography, but up here, you know, as far as the East Coast goes, you know, we have a rather large national forest, actually a couple of them. Uh, the one I live in is Pisgah National Forest, which is like, I think, 275,000 acres. And, and there's we have some pretty decent hunting pressure here, but just we don't have a lot of deer density. So we don't have a lot of people, but, and we, and so to find those old scarred up bucks, you kind of got to go into those little places that people don't go. And sometimes it's 
right there next to the parking lot. But I just kind of like cut down on my chances and just go back to try to find the gnarliest, nastiest place on, on a, on a map and check it out. Yeah. So yeah. In, in the easiest place, like from another trailhead to get into this actual spot, it's about seven miles. So yeah. it's either you can come in seven miles of flat or you can drop in, you know, from the top, you know, down in this hole and gotcha. kind of work your way back in there. Yeah. So let me, let me start with all this stuff right now. Yeah. When I think of the, you know, I take it that it's the Appalachians that kind of run through there, right? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the Appalachians, these national forests, is just a ton of trees. Um, are they mostly pines, or do you got some hardwoods in there? A lot of hardwoods, uh, a lot of rhododendron. You know, we do we do have some softwoods, but predominantly hardwoods. Just gotcha. as you know, with any national forest or wilderness, it, it, they don't do much forestry management on it. Yeah, they just kind of so let it go. Pretty mature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in the area that you hunt, why don't you? explain first off explain to us the terrain how it lays how it all flows and you know obviously that's going to be a much bigger picture than how i would explain my farm but you know do your best to just kind of describe the layout of you know the portion that you hunt or you focus on anyway well predominantly i hunt public land everywhere in the u.s i do own my own farm here uh out by my house, but I kind of just manage in the whitetails on that for, for my son. And if something good shows up, you know, I may take it if it's old enough, but our public land here, like I said, it, you know, we live in the mountains and I know my hunting partner out West, uh, we grew up together, but he lives in Colorado and he always makes fun of, you know, Easterners about elevation, but, you know, I'll, I'll put our, our grade and terrain up against some of the stuff I, I've done out West any day. Only Thing that we don't have is we, we don't have the altitude obviously so yeah. but as far as steepness like it's pretty brutal around here as far as uh, the terrain if you get into the real mountains uh obviously with a lot of hardwoods you run into a lot of leaves so like coming out of some of these holes you know you're sliding two steps back as you're going up and uh, and on this actual hunt when we had some snow up there so getting out of there was you're pretty much post holing in some areas to get out, which, you know, for me, it makes a lot more fun. You know, it's really the experience, but, yeah. uh, you, you know, in a national forest like this, obviously you have to be pretty keen on, you know, identifying what they're eating. You know, there's no ag fields around. It's all just browse. And so what I like to do is get back in there and find some holes that maybe think old bucks living in. And usually I find for me that the best success I have is kind of pinpointing one is, getting at the top of some of these like creek heads and where it kind of flattens out. And, you know, if you find some thickness in there, you can get, we can find some bug beds somewhere in there. Yeah. So I'm just thinking my experience uh, in the national forest mm-hmm. out, out East, right. I've, I've been to a, a national forest in Alabama, uh, not to hunt just, I've, I've been, I guess, Turkey hunt there, but then uh, out East I've, I've been in some national forest, you know, and it's just, it's, just seems like it goes on forever, right? And the obviously the the lower elevations all kind of have some kind of creek or waterway running through it. Mm-hmm. So where from the the lowest elevation, which would be the like the creek, up to mm-hmm. the top, do these deer live? How do they flow? How do they what what's their daily routine like on, you know, terrain like that? I think, and, and I kind of use this with even chasing elk out west, like an old bull. 
they want the high ground in the mountains. You know, they want to be, in my experience, most of the older, older age class animals that I've found are usually going to be higher. And so I kind of look at those areas. I get up high as I can, and, and they pretty much traverse these these ridge lines and obviously use the terrain to their advantage. And but I'll tell you, like it's it's really surprised me up here some of the stuff that a whitetail and even a, a turkey. When I first moved up here, I did a lot of turkey and I was shocked about some of the cliff edges that turkey would come up. So um, you know, they, they they at night they they move down into the flats a little bit, especially during the rut and chase chase those down in a lower area and then you know always catch them coming back up to their bed or or leaving that bed and in in this terrain most of the bigger older age class bucks i've found have always been up a little bit higher gotcha and do you feel that's just because they can get a bigger i guess uh, a better scope of the area like they can see a long ways or is it for some other reason that they like to get higher elevation you know, honestly, I think, you know, if you think about these um, bucks, you know, like a guy like Dan Paul talks about bucks, you know, bedding on these points. Well, in these mountains, it's kind of like that, you know, like places I hunt elk, you know, I, I hunt elk in almost sheep country sometimes, like chasing the bulls, because pretty much nothing in, in their experience has came in from behind them because it's usually too steep. So they can get up there and they get that wind right and they can see down below them everything. So in the afternoon, you know, they usually approach these beds with the wind in their face and they J-hook in and in the afternoon they, they've seen everything out in front of them. They just come down and start working their way out or, you know, they wait till dark to come down. Right. But I, I just, I, I just have always found like these older animals. They just, it seems like they like to be as high as possible. Gotcha. So how thick is it in there? Are you able to see a long ways or, I mean, and I'm, I know I'm comparing where you hunt to Colorado, but when we were in some of the, this you know, this, this mountain, quote unquote, mountain type forest, man, we couldn't see hardly at all. Yeah. Yeah. Dark timbers. Yeah. Dark timber can get thick on you. Uh, it, it, if we're in a, a older established oak stand in the wintertime, we can see pretty far. And I say pretty far being 200 yards. Yeah. Uh, what I, I like to do is I like to go in there and find either an old cut uh, from when they did cut it or even like a natural cut, you know, maybe it'd be a, a fire or something like that. And then you're going to have some successional growth. So it's going to be thicker there. Uh, and obviously it, it's better habitat for them to live in because they got more brows and stuff like that. But, and then we have the rhododendron, which I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's kind of a, a woody leafy bush that grows up, you know, 10, 12 feet and it blooms, but it gets really, really thick. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, are they so in the Midwest where I where I'm at? You know, everybody mm-hmm. talks about edge. You know, if you can find the edge of something, whether it's you know thick timber versus open timber, or let's say a field edge, or you know where CRP meets ag, or any type of places where two either vegetation or terrain features meet, then you're going to find mm-hmm. deer sign. Is that the same way out there? I would say so. I would call the edge, uh, for, you know, like for instance, when they're rutting, they like, to cru- from my experience, they like to cruise the creeks and a lot of these creeks have roto and those does like to, to bed in that rhododendron. It's a little bit more open they can see a little bit more and they can bed in groups. So what, what you'll see is like the, the bucks are always ch- 
will will cruise those creeks on the downwind side of that whatever side of the road over is, and you'll you'll right. see rub lines and scrape lines going up. So, yeah, they they like to cruise the edge, and you know, for me, I I like to try to honestly like to kill things in their bed if I can, and I like to get to that point where where it's thick and just starting to be that kind of transition area myself too. So. Gotcha, gotcha. So, how do their patterns change, if any? throughout the year you know like do they kind of stick to that uh you know do they have a summer feeding pattern versus a let's say like a a pre-rut feeding pattern versus a you know a you know obviously in the rut they're all over the place and then they go back mm-hmm. to kind of like that early season feeding pattern do they have that or do they move around to wherever let's say like the acorn trees are and then eat that up and then they move on to the next spot or are they, do they stay in the same area or, or, or are they traveling longer distances? In my experience up here, they, they tend to just, you know, pretty much stick to their same pattern or, or they will move a little bit as far as food goes, but they're pretty much eating the same thing around except for when the acorns drop it, you know, they're just browsing around. Cause I mean, from, for instance, where this deer, where I killed him, he'd be probably 15 miles from ag. So, yeah. you know, I, and I do have a tendency to, in, in this particular area where I killed this deer, I tend to see some more deer later in the season because some of the pressure up in the easier to access places pushes them back in there. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So then again, what are we talking about when you say a lower deer density? So like when you go out, what would you consider a good day as far as number of deer that you see? I mean, up here, I mean, throughout this deer season in North Carolina on public land, I saw two deer, two deer. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Two deer. And, and also I don't really hunt for the, the numbers I'm actually you know, trying to find a buck or, you yeah. know, or have an idea of something in the area and I'm trying to move around and find wh- where he's hanging out. But yeah, we, we don't have a lot of deer. I mean, it's kind of sad, but funny. Like, I, I'm, I'm involved with backcountry hunters and anglers and I read some forums and there's a lot of people right now, fortunately they're in their thirties kind of getting into hunting, but you really don't know a lot. And they, you know, I meet them up here and I try to point them in the right direction and, they get pretty frustrated based on not seeing anything. Whereas where I grew up in you know, Arkansas and Western Tennessee, you'd see 10, 15 deer a day if you wanted to. So yeah. it, 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 it gets to be pretty trying. I mean, you have to be pretty, uh, you have to have a lot of grit up yeah. here, I think, to, to be successful. You have to just love it. It, it can't be about the kill or you're, you're going to quit and sell everything. Absolutely. And that's funny because I can remember hunting, and I would bitch about, oh man, like I only saw five deer today. I only saw saw five yeah. deer. And these days, yeah. especially like this year with my buck kill, that yeah. buck that I killed this year was the only deer I saw that night. Right? It was the first deer that yeah. showed up, and the last deer, or you know, and I shot him and whatever. And now I hunt in places that are pretty thick, pretty nasty, you know, in terrain features that are going to funnel deer through. So I'm not seeing a lot of deer anymore, right? If, mm-hmm. if they're, if I see them, they're coming right by me. So, and I don't care. I don't, you know, I don't care right. if I see 10, 15 deer in a night, you know, I just want to see the right one. Correct. Yeah. 
That's exactly how I hunt. I mean, I hunt a lot in, in the Midwest, like Ohio and Kentucky on public land and areas that have good quality deer, but also, you know, in the southern part of Ohio where I hunt, there's not a lot of deer at all, but you never know what's going to walk up on you. And it's kind of the same thing. You know, you, I just, I go out there looking for that one. You know, I'm, I'm moving around looking for fresh sign. You know, obviously here I have a, a, a better understanding of what's around because I'm able to monitor trail cameras a little bit better than I am six hours away. Yeah. But um, I, I really, all I want to see is that one deer. And, and I've taken people with me to Ohio and they get frustrated too. It's like, we don't see a bunch of deer. And it's like, I don't care, you know, in a week of sitting daylight to dark, all I want to see is that one. I don't care if I see the other deer. Um, I, for me, it makes me a little bit at ease if I'm not seeing a ton of deer because I don't have to worry about getting busted and messing up my, my, my set. That's right. All right, so now let's dig into this hunt this year. And, and the first question mm-hmm. I have for you is what kind of caliber of deer in North Carolina – are you going for every year in the western part of north carolina you know we're starting to see some we've seen a few deer you know one a year getting that 170 range but on public land here i mean honestly like the deer i killed he, he he's a stud uh as, as far as it's concerned i mean not you know i'm not saying that with an ego but like you kill a pope and young deer on public land here and it's a pretty it's a good it's a big deal uh i talked to an old guy that he's 80 now that used to hunt back in this area kind of got connected to him by uh, a trout fishing buddy older guy that guides here and and i showed him pictures of it and he he was like i've been hunting that area for 35 years and i've never killed a deer that big out of there so you know not to say that's the only one i've gotten pictures of that size but yeah i mean you kill some in that 120 range around here you're doing pretty good but every year we're getting a little bit better uh this year i i personally put hands on a, a deer at my taxidermist that was in velvet and he i think he probably went 176 oh so wow that's, yeah you know we we had some deer brought in here my understanding from wisconsin and a few other places to kind of put some genetics there but uh from the history i've heard it got over hunted here pretty bad a lot of poaching was going on but I know the new game wardens that have been here for like the last eight or nine years have done a pretty good job of clearing that out. And I think hunters in general are, are becoming a little bit more responsible and letting a few, you know, if they're going to fill the freezer, they're tending to fill it with, with does rather than shooting the first, you know, spike that walks by. So, you know, I, I think we're seeing a lot of that. Gotcha. That's awesome that uh, you're starting to see, you know, some kind of growth in maturity and, you know, not necessarily that that's important, but, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're seeing growth in, in mature. And obviously when you get a deer that's mature, there's a good chance his antlers are going to be bigger than, you know, the, the rest of the herd. Exactly. I mean, it, I think people get caught up so much these days on score, but really don't pay enough attention to what their area can actually produce. You know, I hear a lot of guys like on your podcast that are really experienced talk about it's only about what the potential is of your region you yeah. know for for me I, I like to kill the older deer you know like people ask me all the time like what is your ideal buck like i think all of us would want to kill a 200 inch buck but if if i have like a six-year-old come come in and he's going downhill and his face is scarred up and and his ears all notched like i know he's he's the guy around i actually want to kill him 
over something maybe younger and even, you know, has more interest in it. Uh, and, you know, that's kind of what gets it going for me. And I, I think a lot of people are, are starting to turn that way as well. They're not so caught up on inches. Yeah, I agree. It's awesome. All right. So do you use, do you use trail cameras and, or can you use trail cameras? And I mean, like when I say can, I don't, I'm not talking about law, but I'm talking about like, can you even use trail cameras? I mean, do they, is that a good strategy for the national forest and the, and the type of terrain that you hunt? Uh, it is. I, and to answer your question, yes, I do use trail cameras. I, I, in this, except for my own personal farm or private land that I've hunted, I mainly use them to kind of get an idea of what's back that back in the spot. And that's the same thing with the Midwest. Like I can't go check them every week or two. So I just want to know what's in that area or if there's anything in that area that I really want to be chasing. And that's actually how I ran across this buck. I attacked out last year here uh, by Thanksgiving and actually was taking my son back in this area, trying to get him a buck. And, um, and I set out some cameras while I was back there just to kind of see what else was running around. Because I actually just started hunting this new area last year. I didn't want to go back in there for a few years, but it's pretty heinous. So it was just kind of like, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it. And then finally I was like, you know, I need to go back in there and just go ahead and check it off the list. And went back in there still hunting one day with my rifle and killed a pretty good buck last year out of there and figured it was worth the time. So, yeah, I, and I went back to check the cameras. Uh, I went in the turkey hunt this year with my little brother and pulled some cards and was actually working a Tom in and scrolling through my camera, I mean, through my, my pictures because I was, you know, been sitting on it for like four months just eagerly waiting to see these and um, and ran across this buck, actually. So that's, that's actually how I got cued in on his. So des- describe this specific location a little bit more in detail of, of where you found this buck and then maybe talk a little bit about how, you know, how old you thought he was when you initially saw him. Okay. Yeah. So this area, how I generally access it is, um, I come in off some roads up off the Blue Ridge Parkway. And then I actually access some pretty commonly used hiking trails, which are, off limits to hunting but you can use them to access as long as you're not hunting off of them you have to be a certain distance off of them to actually start hunting yeah and i just use them to get to the you know a finger on a ridge to get me down into where i want to go and this this whole area i can't even i don't even know how many acres this whole region would be but i mean it's it's a lot so i i use various fingers to access off of that trail because that trail predominantly is pretty you know pretty flat but you know, I put these cameras up on some scrapes, um, and our rut runs a little bit later here. Uh, you know, our rut starts, free rut starts kicking in, I'd say, around Thanksgiving, and and the older bucks I see are really getting after, you know, right there around Christmas, up okay. until, you know, our, now our archery season goes until the 1st of January. So just so, a little bit um, later into the, uh, so so when would you say your rut really kicks off? I would say the prime time, in my opinion, to kill an older age class deer around here is going to be December 13th to 25th. It's kind of a sweet spot in there. Okay. Uh, that's when I get pretty serious around here. Unless I have some. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it kind of gives me a break because I, I hunt the Midwest, so I can hit the rut there in first of November and hang around the house and do a few things and then 
get serious again if it's tightening up. Yeah. Cool. So, but, so yeah, continue on. So, yeah, when I was scrolling through those pictures, saw a couple interesting bucks. I'm a sucker for six points. I've got a pretty big six pointer killed back when I'm in my twenties. It's like 22 inches inside spread, just cool older deer. And so there was a six point on, on this camera too. that really caught my eye, really tall, mature, just big body, you know, he's an older deer. And then I scroll and I catch a picture of this, this mainframe 10 with double split brows. And I, and at first I was like, wow, you know, you just don't see anything like that around here. That's a, that's a pretty mature buck. And I got to looking at him and, you know, he's classic Roman nose and yeah, just her up front and belly, you know, belly poking. And I was like, well, he's probably, you know, he's got to be at least five, five and a half. And, and I, I'm kind of old school. I don't really share a lot of information with people uh, as far as buddies, you know, like where I grew up hunting, if they knew you were a killer, you, you better have somebody dropping you off if they're going to be watching your truck. And, and I've kind of stuck to those rules. I don't, I kind of kept it close to me about, about these bucks in there. And, uh, it, you know, and I had some different angles of him. He was showing up the daylight pretty, pretty good last year in 17, you know, around that Christmas time. And then I got to noticing, um, one of his eyes looked weird. He had a scar below it. And I was like, man, that deer, he looks like he's blind in that eye. And uh, I was like, wow, that, that meets all my criteria, you know, older, mature buck with one eye. Like, that's all I thought about, you know, as far as North Carolina deer were concerned all year. I mean, I catch myself looking at pictures of him all the time on the plane or whatever, traveling yeah. for work. You know, it's kind of, kind of like I made him a priority, you know. Like, I, I think all of us put together this goal list that we have that we want to do professional, personal, you know, hobby. Um, and I, I always put a pretty – hefty list together but i was like you know i'll be pretty happy if i killed just this buck you know yeah so definitely on in the back of my mind all years of you know going through hunting season so is it even worth shed hunting out there i i don't essentially make it part of my schedule um you know, I, I'll start looking now because I, I, I grouse hunt up here some. We don't okay. have many grouse, but, yeah, cover, cover. but I use the grouse hunting to work my pup and also to scout new areas that I, you know, really wouldn't have another reason to go into. Uh, so if I run across a shed, then, you know, I pick them up, obviously. And then, but I don't just go out and I don't really know anybody around here that just goes out and shed hunts. Okay. Um, I find a lot during turkey season. I mean, I do a lot of turkey hunting, so I pick up on some there. Gotcha. All right. So, so as far as this particular buck, then, I mean, last year you got trail camera pictures of him. You kind of have an idea where he's living. Um, do, did you do any scouting between, you know, the rest of that spring or in through the summer as to try and locate maybe where he was bedding or locate his travel corridor or maybe old sign or anything like that? Yeah, I did. I mean, I, I, obviously the first pictures I had of him and I didn't know it's like, well, maybe this buck could be 10 miles away from here and just traveling through in the rut. Uh, Cause I do see some of that on my, my personal land that I think that since there's so few does that, you know, these bucks probably travel a little bit further than most just because they have covered ground. So I didn't know if he was living there. I suspected him being looking to be the age he was that, that 
that may be his core range. You know, I hear, I've always kind of seen that with older age class animals and I've heard some other people kind of, you know, recite that as well, talking about, you know, as the deer gets older, his, his home range shrinks. So in the back of my mind, I was like, yeah, I think this deer is living in here somewhere. So I, I need to figure out where, and I kept a camera, uh, I put a camera back in there in the summer, but I did scout that whole area pretty good during turkey season. I, I went there three or four different times spending, you know, as long as I needed to in there before I killed a turkey or put somebody else on one and, you know, just scouting around, uh, trying to find some areas. And then I use the Onyx maps a lot. So I just, you know, drop pins and certain things. And then places I wanted to put some cameras and I came back in and put cameras in after, when I got back from Colorado, so mid-September, gotcha. I put some cameras in there. Okay, so this, so you put some, you know, you put some cameras in it in September. Um, you did mm-hmm. you did a little scouting. I, did you have an idea where this buck at this point, like September? Did you have an idea where this buck was was betting at all, or was this is this part of your your strategy when you go in to start hunting? Like whenever, whenever you start hunting in the year, like in, let's say in October, when does North Carolina open? We open in early September. Okay. So is that kind of like you, you try to locate them as you start hunting or do you do the scouting to try to locate them? I, well, every time I'm hunting, I, I go in to scout. So I, I move around a lot and with this particular, and there was a couple of good bucks in there that I, I made the decision I was going to shoot if I saw them. And so I just went in and started putting, and I typically do this on public land here. Um, I will put out some cameras to kind of see what's in the area. And I was trying to find out essentially with him, I kept moving my cameras around throughout, you know, the early season, just trying to see if I could catch him or, or, or one of these other bucks. And I was getting a lot of small, smaller animals. And, and, and just like I said, it's not a lot period, but, uh, you know, I just kept moving around and, and I, I just don't go hunt to hunt either, especially yeah. spots like that. Like I, I, I make, I would either wait for a, some type of weather pattern change or something like that. And every time I go in there, you know, I'll check my camera if I, and I, I have some cameras I like to stick in one spot and leave them there, but then there's some I just use floaters to kind of move around yeah. and see if I can just find, find the animal itself and then, and then try to pinpoint where I think he's living. And, and, and for me, I, I hunt a lot of just, fresh sign like i move i i rarely sit the same tree right and and, and i try to you know like i've heard a lot of people talk about it's killing on that virgin sit i think i've killed 80 percent of my good deer on the virgin sit okay all right so i, I guess just kind of kind of break down this buck then i mean when and how did you locate him I mean, you got the trail cam pictures. You say you bounce around until you, you know, you're, you're looking for fresh sign. You're going in to try to uh, put all the pieces of the puzzle together. What was the, what was the the big piece of the puzzle? I mean, did you see him on another hunt and then make a move, or did you just go in and, and get lucky? Uh, well, kind of a funny story. Um, so I, I went in there a few times, late September. October did some hunts, you know, mainly afternoon hunts and moving and looking at some cameras and, and, and then our rifle season, I predominantly hunt with a bow. Uh, but last year I did take that buck with my rifle on the ground just stalking around and 
you know, I found that was pretty fun, you know, kind of rekindled that, that love. I mean, we all like shooting guns and it's, it's quite interesting when you hit one with a deer rifle, it just kind of collapses. So, you know, that there's in the, and shoot, you know, stalking one and shooting on the ground is fun. But this year I had a goal. I wanted to kill one with a pistol. And, oh, okay. uh, so, so for the week of Thanksgiving, I, you know, word for me is kind of slow. So I hunted pretty much every day of Thanksgiving with my pistol, trying to turn that deer up or one of the other ones I was chasing their sign, looking at cameras and man, I hunted, uh, daylight to dark probably three days that week and probably i know one day i covered about 17 miles just cruising you know daylight to dark um and you know never had any opportunities in there with my pistol kind of a funny offside story i was hunting my own farm and had it, a, a nice little buck come in and <laughs> and i've been practicing with this pistol uh, you know open sights uh Ruger, you know super black hawk uh 44 magnum and I, I, you know, I was 30 yards and I was solid at 30 yards. Well, this buck comes in, he's probably 45 and I was calm and, you know, had a really good rest. So I, I was like, well, I'm just going to aim a little high. When I shoot the first time with this buck, he, uh, he doesn't move. And I'm just sitting there waiting for him to tip over, you know, get something get hit with a 44 Magnum. Well, he just takes a step forward. And I was like, geez, I must have missed. So long story short, I actually ended up emptying my pistol on that, on that deer and, uh, and he walked under me. Uh, I could have probably hit him in the head with the pistol, uh, but I was I was Winchester. So, so it, needless to say, it was a, it was a pretty slow, uh, slow you know, gun season. And then I was really just kind of ramping up for that that second archery that we have that, yeah. that closes in January. And um, so as soon as that opened back up, I was in went back into my zone really trying to find this buck or, you know, like I said, one of these other ones that, that were in there and start seeing some better deer showing up. So I knew, you know, rut starting to kick off and, you know, necks starting to swell out and, you know, tarsal glands are darkening. And, and I went in and I hunted every chance I could on a good weather pattern. And we got a lot of snow right there in early December. I mean, we got like 18 inches up at my place and I couldn't even get into this area. Um, around that time because I couldn't get up to where I needed a park to even access it. And, you know, it's 10 miles from my house to get to this, to this parking area, but the snow and ice was so bad up there that finally it kind of let off a little bit and, um, I started going up there and it was still kind of sketchy, a little bit of ice up there. And I was having to get in four wheel drive to get up there. And it was, you know, you definitely had to be careful coming off this mountain on foot because you know there there is some like granite slab stuff in there like some rock a little bit of mild rock face right that can be covered up with with snow or or leaves so you have to be real careful especially back here by yourself there's no no cell service or anything i, I use my garmin in reach that i use out west you know in case something was to happen but so i um uh, i had hunted this area that i been interested in but and i'd moved the camera closer to this other area about a couple weeks before just trying to move around see if i could you know catch some of these bucks and there's this one zone that i'd seen turkey hunting and it just looked right you know it was just there was a creek head you know the topo looked like it flattened out a little bit and there was a lot of succession a lot of thorns a lot of you know saplings and stuff leading up to that and uh, I'd been wanting to go in there and check it out. It just hadn't been quite, the wind hadn't been right or anything. And I just didn't want to go in there and booger anything up. Yeah. But I had a camera down below it that had been soaking for a few weeks. So I got done with my morning hunt. Um, you know, 
I said at 11 o'clock I was going to move and go check that camera and carried my stand. I always just move my stand with me everywhere I go, you know, and uh, I went check that camera and saw that, that good six point. And I was like, okay, uh, you know, this, this is some, I've been looking for this deer. Here he is. And he was down below the spot. And I said, well, there's a good chance he's probably cruising this area I want to go to anyway. So I started, you know, easing up in there um, up to this flat point and using the creek to my advantage to kind of damper some of my noise because right. it was still kind of crunchy from some of the leftover snow and stuff like that. And I was just taking my time, just easing up kind of, you know, I use my binoculars a lot. I just look for rubs or anything like that when I'm moving through, getting ready to put up a set. Cause my plan was to go in, put my set up and there was a good front coming in two days later that I knew, if, you know, if I found some good sign that, uh, there's going to be a good buck, you know, good buck is an area. He's going to be on his feet that day, um, that afternoon. So I was easing up in this spot and just where it started to crest, I started running into some rubs and, um, I pushed just probably 10 more yards in, you know, there's some fresh rubs and I jumped a big, a big body buck and I had a hiking stick in one hand and my bow in the other hand. So I couldn't get to my binoculars quick to really, you know, put some glass on him to see what, which buck he was or what his horns like he was mature i could see his body was big so i was like i don't need to go any further i i, I don't want to push in and booger anything up so i looked around and found a good set um and uh just set my stand up there real quick and eased out of there and just waited for that you know two days later when this front was coming through because you know we were about to get a um a full moon and um and it kind of was coinciding with this front coming in. It was supposed to start raining on, uh, I believe that was, yeah, that killed this deer on Wednesday night. So on Thursday, it was supposed to rain and the temperature was dropping too. And I, I thought with that, with that moon, you know, that, that full moon coming in, you know, you always hear guys talk about on a, right before the, the moon goes full, they like to move into the afternoon. And when it switches over to the new moon, they move more in the morning. I guess the people follow the moon, but everything was stacking up. You know, everybody's philosophies was stacking up that be the afternoon. So I actually had a, a pretty important meeting that day, and I, I wanted to get in stand by noon and just set it out the rest of the day, but I had a lunch meeting, and it, it, it got me pushed off, and I ended up getting to the trailhead at, like, 2 o'clock. And um, I was trying to rush in and get back there because it takes me about a little over an hour, hour and a half to – to get back in to where I actually killed this deer. So from, it takes you about truck. an hour to go that three miles that you, that you mentioned. Yeah. If you take your time and going downhill, it's kind of sketchy. So you, you, you know, you don't want to fall. So right. yeah, it takes a little bit of time. And so uh, I got in there a little bit later than I wanted to, but I just, anytime that happens to me, I just slow it down even more and just try to be as stealthy as I can. Right. Get into my stand. All right. So, were you heading, you know, you, you mentioned you jumped this big body deer. Are you going mm -hmm. back to that same area, taking that same access route that you used when you jumped him? Or did you have some kind of plan in your head to where you were going to maybe backdoor that piece or do something different so you didn't jump a deer that time? Um, <clears throat> well, my plan was... I. I had, uh, you know, I live under the philosophy with, especially with these older deer. And I, just by looking at the body, I assumed he was a more mature age class animal. But my philosophy is if it worked for him once, he's going to come back to that bed because it worked, you know, like his, 
his strategy worked. Mine, mine failed because he saw me coming in. And yeah. I'd gotten a little bit off of that creek that time when I bumped him. And I really, I just bumped in too close to him. You know, I, I found out a lot more about where he was bedded after I killed him. Um, but everything that I put in my head played out. And, right. and so I just, I, I, the wind was, it was one of those things that, you know, you hear I guess, like Dan Infall talk about, and this was that kind of that day, like the wind was better for him than it was for me. But where I saw him bump out of, I had a good feeling he was going to be either in that same spot or up on the ridge and was going to come off the top of that ridge on this other point and still funnel back down through here. So I just used that creek that was essentially to my left side coming up in between two ridges. And just, I hugged that creek as tight as I could, you know, because it, it was pretty loud. So it was going to also just going to carry my scent down. You know, most times your scent and your thermals are going to kind of flow with, unless the wind's real bad, it's going to flow with that creek a little bit. Right. So I just crept in there, you know, just like I was stalking a elk or, you know, Western animal, just taking my time. And I just, and I pretty much got everything on and had my bow on my pack. That way I could just take everything up and there wouldn't be any clanging. Cause I, I'm, I'm pretty nerdy about noise. Yeah. So, um, are you that guy? Yeah, I got who, got set up. Are you that guy who like puts the stealth tape on and, and does the paracord around the stand and all that stuff? No, I don't do that. I just like think ahead and try not to make a mistake. <laughs> yeah. You know, more than anything. I, a lot of times I use, uh, I use a climbing rope to access my stand on a cinders. Um, I, I, buddy of mine and I started doing this a few years ago. I think in the saddle community, we call it SRT. We call it the rad system, rapid ascent and descent. So essentially go in. Um, I didn't do it for this time, but most of the time I do just for the quiet factor and safety, but go in with like an arborist bag and throw a bean bag over a limb and then attach that bean bag and a, a smaller piece of cord to my climbing line and then pull that over and then, you know, dog it in with a carabiner and pull it tight and use that one fixed line to jug up, up to my deer stand. And, you know, I can hang my deer stand a lot easier that way too. So that really helps for it being quiet. Oh, wow. It does cut down on weight too. But on this one, I was using my sticks. I mean, the, the downside of using that rope system is sometimes you're hunting for a tree because you got to have a branch to get the, the rope over. Right. Uh, I've, I've kind of, if it's an area I don't know very well and don't know there's going to be any good limbs for me. I, I love my sticks because I can, I can hunt anything with the sticks and yeah. I, I don't care. I don't carry a lot of sticks because I don't really worry about getting that high anymore. Like I, I like to have an idea of, you know, I'm hunting one deer most of the time or hunting a place. I think something's going to, a buck's going to be bedded. Yeah. And I have an idea of where I think he's going to come from. I try to position myself where he's not, you know, going to, you know, skyline me or something like that. So, and then I don't have to carry all these sticks either. Right. So, and it helps, you know, with all this climbing. So what, uh, um, what's your, yeah. before we get into the next part, I'm sorry. I'm, and I'm geeking out cause I just got back from the ATA show. What's the, uh, what describe really quickly what your running gun setup is. Uh, well, I have a, um, my stand, I use the XOP vanish. I've been using XOP for quite a while. And, uh, in my stand, I've modified, I actually took my seat off cause I, I pretty much stand the whole time. Yeah. And I've talked to some guys before on forums and they're like, you literally stand all day. And it, it, you know, if I'm, when I go to the Midwest, I hunt daylight to dark every day while I'm there. And yeah, I stand, or if I'm on my rope system and I wear a climbing harness, I'll, I'll pull my rope tight into my grigri and just settle, set, settle down in my, into my harness. 
And like, if I want to kind of take a nod or, you know, just give my feet some, some rest, I'll do that. But so I have a modified XOP and depending on where I'm at, I either run that road system I was telling you about, or I carry, you know, I have some two lone wolf sticks that I like to carry and one short muddy pro stick. It's kind of my, my running gut setup. And I, I use a, a frame pack. I use a, an XO mountain 3,500. Yeah. And it, you know what, what I like about that, so I started, I started running and gunning. I think when I hunted a bunch of public land when I was a kid in Arkansas and my running gun setup back then was a, a lean to stand that I drug through the woods, you know? So it's, it's evolved. Like, you know, I went to the climbing stand where I was stuffing my backpack through the climbing stand, using the climbing stand straps and, over the years, I've kind of perfected my system because most of my hunts, I hunt these harder to reach places because I feel like, you know, I get an advantage. And, um, but you want to be as, as seamless and efficient as possible. And I found that, that using those, like the Exo, uh, the Exo Mountain bag or, you know, Kafari or anybody's, you can separate your bag from your frame, you know, which a lot of people use that to haul meat. Um, but I use it and I put my stand in between there and then I cinch that bag tight and then strap my sticks, you know, to the outside of the, the pack. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we just, uh, went off down a rabbit hole there <laughs> and I apologize yeah. to the listeners, but yeah, you're good. you know, if I have to, if, if this is the first time you're ever listening to the podcast and you're, you plan on listening to it again, get used to stuff like that. <laughs> All right. So you're walking in. And, uh, just, I guess before I interrupted you take off from there. Yeah. So once I start, right when I got down to the logging road, right when I was going to access the, the Creek head, I, um, or the Creek to get up there to the, the headwaters of it, I went ahead and put everything on that I was going to be set up. So I just wanted to sneak into my stand as, you know, stealthy as possible get get seated and um you know hang my bow up and be ready without making much noise and much movement and uh i got everything worked fine like you know i didn't i didn't make any any dumb noises that you know that always kind of make your gut turn when it happens when you when you think you're you're going in for the kill you know um everything worked perfect and i got settled in and um you know as far as temperature wind everything was looking right you know and and i hadn't obviously cut any shooting lanes or anything you know i hung that stand and just got out of there but i i, I try to hunt thicker spots so you know this spot here i had probably three decent shots and longest range i had was like 28 yards okay and um so you know i'd range those and and pretty much new like i, I shoot a 510 slider and in you know, with a heavier own pretty fast bow. And I, I was like, well, and here I'm golden, you know, my, my, my top pin, I'm pretty good. So, uh, so we're, I'm just going to put the range finder up and just get focused. And so I, I guess I got set up probably about three thirty, and, okay. um, you know, and I, and I kind of, you know, around five o'clock, you know, that time of year is when I start getting real serious, but I've been fooled at four too. And that's, had somebody get up, you know, get them up early. But, uh, you know, as I was saying, not a lot of deer and, um, I didn't expect a ton of action, but, uh, you know, I had, a, had this gut feeling that it, I was going to see that buck that I saw the other day. I, I had a good feeling he's bedded in that area. So 
you know, it was pretty slow up until about five o'clock. I was looking behind me and then I heard something behind, um, uh, back, uh, while I was looking in front of me and had my, the tree was to my back, which the tree was between, um, me and where I figured the buck was bedding. You know, I always like to have that tree in between us where I think a deer is going to approach or something. And, and I heard something, I looked up the, up the ridge there a little bit and I saw, saw this mature buck, you know, big body buck coming down and I saw his horns and I was like, Oh wow. That's, that really wasn't what I was expecting to see. <laughs> it kind of took me off guard. And, um, he was cruising down and, uh, on the outside of this rhododendron and actually, um, right after I saw him, you know, he went up and started hitting a licking branch and, you know, keep in mind, I never pushed past where I stopped when I jumped that deer. So I never went further in where the steer was bedded. I didn't want to booger it up or anything. So, um, yeah, I, I saw the deer coming down and I didn't even put it together that it was the buck I had pictures of. Uh, I just knew it was a mature age class animal and, and it, it, you know, he, he's going to get an arrow flung at him. So, you know, at that point, you know, I think we all probably do the same thing. We just go ahead and just take the eyes off the, off the horns and just start kind of focusing on, you know, how everything's going to play out where sequences and <laughs> my buddies make, uh, making fun of me that night. Cause I, I was like, yeah, you know, I, did, I broke down and did some yoga breathing and just centered <laughs> myself and, and got ready. Um, and, uh, and so one thing I'm not big on, I don't like stopping whitetails, you know, with a, a grunt or bleat it, yeah. unless, you know, if they're, if they're moving too fast, yeah, that's one thing. But if they're at like a, you know, kind of an easy pace, like he was like, che- you know, checking, checking his, um, licking branches and things like that. I personally don't like to stop them. Uh, I just think it, whitetails are, as you know, they're cagey, you know, they're way more wired than most animals that we hunt. Um, so, you know, I just always think that if you stop him, he's going to be on alert and he's going to have a tendency to drop and yeah. your, 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 your margin of error is going to be the same. If you take, take a shot at him, he's taking, he's taking a step, but at least I, in my mind, I think even if I'm a little off, like he's not even know what happened. All he heard was the bow go off instead of some, somebody trying to like imitate, you know, a, a grunt or, you know, a bleat or something like that. So I prefer to do that. And I knew I'd already ranged this one hole. And, um, so I, I was like, as soon as he steps in that hole, I'm just gonna, you know, it's kind of falling a little bit and just let it go. And I, um, and I shoot a thumb trigger. So, you know, I got my, everything was in position and, you know, just wait on him to step in there. And, and I play with a lot of different broadheads. Um, I don't have one of each in my quiver. I just like testing stuff. I'm in my bow's tune. So it shoots them all perfect. And, uh, on this actual hunt, I had a kudu point and I hadn't killed anything with a, you know, a, a two blade, you know, single bevel. And I just know, and as far as how it shot out of my bow and how it penetrated and test at home, it was, it was an, it's an amazing uh, broadhead. Yeah. And I shoot 500, I shoot 500 green. So, um, and I just, you know, eased it right behind the shoulder and just let her rip. And, you know, you hear that, that sound you want to hear, you know, like, as soon as I let it go and it just, you know, sounds like hitting a wet paper bag. Yep. yep. I felt like the shot was good. I, I just saw it blow right through and he didn't take off very fast. And, um, he, he kind of trotted a little bit up and gotten some red and I got my binos on him, 
and he slowed down and I was like, man, you know, and that, in my opinion, that, that's the beauty of, of not stopping them. They don't really know, especially if your bow's quiet and you have a super sharp broadhead and you get a pass through. I, I don't think they know what happened. So they'll kind of go up there and chill out and, you know, you may be able to get another shot on them, especially like with elk and things like that. But, right. you know, as soon as he got up there, he probably went 35 yards and um, I started seeing his tail flicker and I was like, oh, my, I can't believe he's about to go down right here. And, but I lost visual on him because he just got so thick. And, uh, but I heard some, I heard some brush break and, you know, that could have been him falling. That could have been him just kind of walking up that steep ridge right there that he was going towards. So I went ahead and gave him 20, 20 minutes because this was five o'clock and, you know, it'd been getting dark about, I think shooting light was 545, something like that. Yeah. So, um, I definitely, I definitely wanted to get eyes on him or at least a blood trail before dark. So I gave him essentially 20 minutes and I got down and, you know, I kind of collected myself, you know, you know how it is that anticipation after you let that arrow go and you see it hits home and you, you just kind of, you know, for me, you run through all those days of sitting and all that stuff that's led up to this point. You know, I think we all spend way more hours thinking and dreaming than we do actual hunting, but you know, it's, it's something special when it all comes together. When you, um, and real quick, when when mm-hmm. you're when you're yeah i can't even talk right now where you're set up are you on the mm-hmm. shadow side of the mountain or are you on the sun side of the mountain uh, i was in between two finger ridges two two finger ridges off the main ridge so essentially i was on the um essentially on the south side but i was tucked in between two finger ridges so i was kind of like in this little you know some people call it a holler or you know drainage because there's a creek that ran through there too right okay all right so you gave him you gave him some time and you yeah. got you got out of the tree now can you even make any phone calls from where you're at certain areas in that little area where i was i could send some texts and i was able to get a call out um because you know back in there you, you got to think about it after you put an animal down, I'm like, the work's just getting started, you know, like there's, there's no dragging out of there. Or, or I guess you could drag a deer out of there, but you're going to be spending a lot of time getting it up that mountain. You're not doing it solo. So, um, you know, for me at that point, I, was, I wanted to find blood and then I had to start thinking about how I wanted to get it out. I mean, yeah, I, I, I really appreciate type two fun. So there's a part of me that, really loves the whole process of breaking it down myself and then packing it out myself. Yeah. But then there's also a part of me, like, I mean, I'm kind of an asshole solar hunter, you know, like I, I do a lot of hunting by myself, but I do like to, you know, let people see what I do. And, and there's that fun camaraderie. And also you don't want to save all that fun of like drag getting something out of that, that far back in the mountains on with snow on the ground by yourself. You know, you want other people to, experience that that fun so um so yeah i was able to get a phone call out and kind of see if anybody was willing to see my close hunting buddies wanted to come back in and have some fun breaking the animal down and packing them out but um so we'll get to that um i uh went down the last place you know where i mean where i shot him at and uh quickly found the arrow i mean pretty much buried into the fletchings in the ground and just immediately saw, you know, it was soaked in blood. So I knew it was a good hit. And, uh, 
there was still some snow on the ground. I looked up, you know, eight yards and saw some blood and, and, um, you know, started my blood trail. It was pretty easy following and got up there to the last place I saw him. And there's this big old tree was uprooted and walked around the other side of that. And there he was piled up and, and it kind of just, you know, it hits you. And for me, like, I didn't really focus much on the horns when I saw him. I saw it was a, a bigger, mature animal, and that's all I needed. But I hadn't paid any attention to what buck it was or anything like that. I just knew it was a good buck. So, um, And then it really set in that the quality it was for the region, you know, once I got up to it. And I was like, wow, this it's a good buck. And I was really excited. So, obviously, you know, I had had my moment there, you know, with them kind of reflecting on the year and and i still hadn't put it together that this was the buck i had pictures of because uh in 17 he was a mainframe 10 with double split brows and this buck he was uh, a eight point with one split brow and then starting to get another one so i didn't even put it together i was just like well maybe it's the same genetics and i hadn't even looked at i didn't even look at his eye because i didn't even think about it being the same deer but i saw immediately on this deer he had notched ear and, you know, it was all scarred up from fighting. You know, he's had all types of scars in his neck. And, uh, but I didn't even pay attention to that eye. So, um, I knew time was leaving me and I had to make a decision if I was going to just break it down and get him out myself or pack out my clothes and stuff, get a buddy or two if they wanted to come in and come in with an empty pack. And that way we don't have to make one pack out. Uh, cause I can get a, mature white tail boned out i can get them out in one pack you know maybe two and the body on this deer i was thinking it's gonna take me two two trips to get it out by myself right so that's Um, that's four hours right hike out hike in hike out or well no hike out hike in and hike out again right so three hours right after after the fact that you broke them down you know, you said it takes about an hour to get back in there. So you're you're saying that after you got done breaking down the animal, it was going to take you an additional three hours to get him back to the truck. More than likely. I mean, well, with there still being snow, uh, this drainage that I come out of, that's re- I mean, it's really, really steep. Um, gotcha. I mean, you, you pretty much, with that snow, the only way to, that I'd been getting out without this losing a lot of ground is I was having to use my, my sticks and my yeah. hiking sticks. So that, I mean, I, I, I could have, I should have had micro spikes to be honest with you. In hindsight, I should have packed my micro spikes and used those, but I was just didn't think about it trying to be, I guess maybe too much of a tough guy. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, so it, it could have been three hours. It could have been six, you know, sliding around getting them out of there, but it was going to be a, it was going to be a late night for sure. Gotcha. So did did you end up doing that? I mean, did you you break them down and, and pack them out, or did you have your buddies help drag them out? Well, funny story. The first person I called was um, my spouse. And the year before, I killed a good buck uh, the day before Thanksgiving, which is our um, our anniversary. And we always do something, you know, trail running, mountain biking, or something uh, on our anniversary. And I killed that buck that morning, and I got to my truck with the first load at noon, and I called uh, my spouse and I said, Hey honey, um, guess what? We got some, something fun we can do uh, instead of going mountain biking today. And she's like, what? I was like, we can pack in and get this buck. I killed the rest of it. And, she, and, and this is, this is really going to throw you off. Uh, 
so my spouse, she's a born and raised vegetarian. Oh boy. Never in her life is that oh, I know, it's funny. Like and she doesn't care. Like we've got tons of dead animals on the wall and hundreds of pounds of meat, you know, through various animals and she but it's just how she was raised, you know, like and she's like, Well, I've never had meat and I don't even know what to expect. So and I'm fine without it. So I'll just keep going. So so she ended up that night going in with me to get the second load and actually on that one we came in from the flat side i wanted to try that and it ended up being like seven seven and a half miles so needless to say uh, that year when we packed that one out she didn't come out with me until like midnight 11 o'clock eleven yeah. thirty somewhere in there and so i called her first and said hey what are you doing um mainly joking and right. uh and, and i said hey, i just killed a big buck you know the one and uh She's like, I am not packing, going and packing the deer out with you tonight. So you better find somebody <laughs> else. And uh, so I called one of my other good buddies, but he just had a kid and he really wanted to come. And he was going to come after he put his kid to bed. But I was like, man, your wife probably won't go for that. So I called my buddy Tyler and my buddy Jordan. And, uh, you know, they hunt out west and they like to suffer a little bit. So I asked them if they were they were game to come out and pack a buck out and they were like let's one of the fellows he's like well i'm bathing my kid as soon as i can get him dried up i'll turn him over to the wife and i'll be at your house by the time you get there so so i was like all right so i didn't even touch the deer i just i knew it was gonna take me a little bit of time to get out of there and i just wanted to get all my stuff out get to my house meet them and dump my pack and get my kill kit and, and then we went in and got him so and they never my buddy Tyler had been back in there hunting with me. I took him back in there with me one day, but Jordan, he'd never been back in there. So they didn't, he didn't really know what to expect. But, you know, it's always interesting when you go down in that spot, you realize it's even hard going in because it's so steep going downhill. But then you just have to look, you know, into the future of what, what you're, what's going to be kicking you in the teeth when you come back out. So, so but so they're, they're troopers for coming in there with me. But yeah, we got back in there and, got him broke down and I, I normally don't, um, I don't do a lot of shoulder mounts anymore. I, I like yeah. the European mounts, you know, it saves money. Uh, I can use that money for another tag somewhere else. And also, you know, I don't know about you, but I just kind of like grabbing the skull and horns every once in a while. And it kind of helps you re- relive that memory, you know, yeah. um, you know, you just sit around and just kind of look at it and hold it. And, and so, but on this one, we got down there and I showed my buddy Jordan. I was like, hey, he's like, man, that's a good buck. And I was like, do you think it's this buck? And and I showed him pictures of this, the, the 10. And he got to looking. And then at that moment, we noticed his eye was all cloudy. And then I noticed the scar. And I was like, oh, this is the buck. This is him. So, and I hadn't even put it together cause, uh, until that moment. And then, you know, both of them looked at both pictures. And I mean, it's pretty obvious, you know, his yeah. right eye has got a scar right below it and it's all clouded out. But, so I'm, I'm assuming he was going downhill when he, you know, didn't hit that mainframe 10 again. Gotcha. So, gotcha. but I'd said all year, I told my spouse and I said, if I killed that one eyed buck, I'm going to get him shoulder mounted. So, so this went into us. Um, none of us had ever chased out an animal on the ground like that for a shoulder mount. Like we've done tons of them, you know, hanging up, but had never done one on the ground. So that, that was a little bit of a learning process, you know, to not get the meat dirty and leafy and, and then also to, 
kind of strip it down and not not make any you know mistakes on the high yeah absolutely well awesome man and long story short you got it out and uh you realized it was that buck and now he's at the taxidermist right now yeah he's at the taxidermist um you know it took us we ended up getting out of there about one thirty in the morning gotcha. of the snow and it, it was a pretty epic you know pack out it ended up getting a lot of sleep that we were finishing up reaching the summit and but it was just a great time you know and yeah i took him to the taxidermist the next day and um yeah so i should be getting him back next year but awesome. it's just really a memorable experience absolutely well that's awesome man uh mr red congratulations on uh on this year's buck one hell of a story and i i like i like hearing these these appalachian backwood hunts too because you know you're going in you're going in deep and it's not like that mid midwestern hunt where you got ag fields and you got you know all these different terrain features and all this different vegetation and crop fields and stuff and you get you're going into something completely different and uh going deep getting it done and i love to hear stories like that so congratulations and thanks for taking time to hop on the podcast and share that story with us yeah man uh really thanks for having me and you know i appreciate everything you do you know I like what you do with your podcast. You, you know, you have some some known vets out there to you know drop some beta on people, but you also just have you know your everyday public land guys. You know, and at the end of the day, we all we all do it for our own reasons, and it, it's good to hear that diversity. So I, I really appreciate what you do for that, and also you know the QDMA, you know, giving back. It's it's pretty important. So yeah, honored to be on here, and uh, appreciate your time. And that is a wrap, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Huge shout out to everyone who's taken time out of their day to download and listen to this podcast, be a part of the Sportsman's Nation. Please go to social media, check us out, Instagram and Facebook. Not only my podcast, Nine Finger Chronicles, and my social media avenues, but the Sportsman's Nation as well. Man, just a ton of great content coming. I wish I could share more, but uh, at this time I can't. Uh, but there's there's some deals there's some deals behind the back doors being made and uh, some pretty big deals if they go through so I'm excited for that huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast because without their support and when I mean their support I mean the money right the money portion of it uh, that helps me pay for this thing and and lets my wife know that this is a worthwhile endeavor right huge shout out to them and not only that but they make kick-ass products too so exodus ozonics wasp lone wolf deer lab prime ripcord ozonics and hunter safety systems um without them this wouldn't happen so uh go check all those brands out also if you haven't already go and subscribe to this podcast go subscribe to the sportsman's nation or subscribe to any of the individual podcasts that are out there um, i think everybody's starting to notice that uh, all the podcasts are, are going to be start to be broken out a little bit so they're easier to find you know if you like one podcast uh, uh, as compared to all the podcasts you might be able to you're going to be able to find them here pretty soon that process has already started um Go leave a review on iTunes or wherever you download this podcast. Please go leave a review. That does wonders for the network and wonders for Nine Finger Chronicles. So please go do that. And other than that, man, I just I'm feeling blessed today. I'm feeling happy today. Good vibes all around. Hopefully you guys are in that same good vibe 
good vibe feeling. And it's the weekend, so everybody relax. Go hang out with uh, some family. If by chance you are still hunting, our friends at Hunter Safety Systems are reminding us to please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good weekend.